Welcome to my mom's podcast. You're listening to the Early Childhood Journeys podcast, where we chat with educators, community members, and advocates of early childhood alike through candid and real conversations, focusing on the person behind the practice, along with some tips and strategies as well. I'm your host, Marisa. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another Early Childhood Journeys podcast episode. My next guest I'm so excited to have is none other than my amiga from Latinas in Ed, Carla Rivera Cruz with Ed Epiphany. Welcome, Carla. Hi. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, what's funny is that I was, I was going trying to find Carla's bio, like her official bio stuff. And I'm like, Hey, you don't have anything on your, on your website. Like I know Carla, like personally, like the stuff that she enjoys. So we were just talking about, I'm like, you should just tell them that, you know, you like wine. Yeah. Put that on there. Put the, what is it? The charcuterie board. Charcuterie, darling. You have to say it that way. <laughs> charcuterie. With the, with, with while I'm holding. word for wine. Uh-huh. And cheese and the and all I should know that because I, I am married to a Italian guy um, but yeah I'm like I love hearing about the personal sides of our educators um, so let me give some background here with Carla Carla and I obviously have connected before on the podcast and on Twitter and she and I um, she's now in San Diego kind of visiting now Arizona um, but still, we love her here in Arizona. And Carla and I keep in touch with what's been going on as far as some of the white-centric, I guess, views and vibes and edu-color um, Twitter chats that have been going on. And just through our discussions, we're just always like, yes, that's what I mean. Yes, let's talk about that. Um, so I wanted to have her on uh, briefly. And just a heads up to our audience, both of Carla and I are working parents. And as many as you guys know, or I'm home and my kid might come up to me and might start talking, even though she knows I'm, I'm recording. Um, and Carla's also a new mom. <laughs> so, so we're, we're, we're going to try to keep it brief. Yeah, because I got a daycare pickup here soon. Yeah. Or else they'll charge me, <laughs> charge me a fee if I'm late. <laughs> so let's talk about um, some of the topics. Where do you want to start, Carla? Let's let's start with what you mentioned about the Twitter chat because I I feel as though there really are two different Twitter worlds mm-hmm. or tri- Twitter universes when it comes to education, um, and and you see that right? Like you see that with who is who is following who, and you can even see almost like Twitter clicks, Twitter education clicks forming depending on certain hashtags and things like that. And, and the conversations you see when you see a hashtag that's edu-color, those conversations look very, very different from the some of the other conversations. If you were to Google, for example, best people to follow on Twitter, you're going to get a list of 25 people and they all, the ones that have the largest following, unfortunately, are predominantly white. And so we, we see the ways that this, um, this imbalance of power and, and this imbalance of influence is still so obviously apparent, even on something that, like the Twitter platform. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, we were talking about that at that interpersonal level, how the white supremacy 
can creep in. Um, and I know you were, do you want to talk about your, your school board days and that fiasco? Oh, yeah. Well, I guess, <laughs> let, let me, I know that like when we had talked about the different like levels of the way that this is playing out, I, it brings me back to a video that I love to watch on YouTube that is called the four eyes of oppression. And it basically walks you through how we can go from something as broad as an idea and it can seep into our institutions, seep into our interpersonal interactions with people and then seep into even our own psyche and things that we begin to internalize. So when we were preparing for this, I was like, yeah, we could talk about this. Like these are the examples that I, that I have. And it goes as follows. It starts with an ideology, yeah. then it moves on to institutional, uh, institutional oppression, 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 followed by interpersonal oppression, followed by internalized oppression. The best way that I can give as a simple example of how that has played out in Arizona is yeah. with, we start with this ideology. It's no surprise that a lot of white folks in Arizona believe in white supremacy. They believe in the, in the superiority of white Americans. So you see that with certain ideas or comments that play out. People will say things like, if you live here in the United States, you need to speak English, right? The idea behind that yes. is, is that somehow English is the better. The ideology behind that is that English is better than yes, we have an English or, instruction state. Right. Well, and that's how that, that idea, that those belief systems bled into our institutions. So then our state, um, or I guess our former state, I still yeah. feel like Arizona is mine in some way, but it is. then mm -hmm. Arizona um, decided, okay, well, we're actually going to pass um, a, was it a law? It was a law. Yeah. The, the instruction was, or the, the, the four hour block thing. Yep. Um, well, all kinds of different things, right? The band. Yeah. So we have the ways that that idea of the superiority of, of white Americans has played out in Arizona is that we had a ban on ethnic studies. Oh, we yes. had um, teachers being told that they could not instruct in Spanish. We had, um, we had this, this separation, right? This almost like separate but equal policy of if you are not proficient in English, you have to be put in an ELL, in an ELL four hour block of English immersion and instruction. And that really has all kinds of damaging effects. So that's the institutional oppression we see just from that idea right. that there is some white superiority. A great example of the way that played out for me on the interpersonal level, where I had an interaction with somebody on a one-on-one -on -one level, where that um, came into play was I was actually coaching a teacher that was a third grade teacher who was struggling. She was struggling the lesson plan. She was struggling to manage the, the classroom. And so I actually co-taught with her and modeled for her some behavior management strategies and whatnot. One of the things I did during that lesson was that I had all of the students write their names on a, on a little piece of cardboard so that I could see and call them by name. I called on a kid named Ivan. And the second I said, Ivan, the teacher stopped me in the middle of my lesson. The one I was there to help, mind you. Oh, and she did. said in front of the students, his name is Ivan. We're not supposed to speak Spanish. <gasps> oh, no. 
wildly inappropriate. That was a huge interpersonal transgression. And not only that, it happened with an audience and it happened in front of kids. That then wow. bleeds into inter in in uh, that was interpersonal, which then bleeds into internalized. Yes. We first of all, Ivan was uncomfortable. The class was uncomfortable. I asked Ivan, how does your mom pronounce it? Mm-hmm. And he said, Ivan. And I said, okay, if that's how your mom pronounces it, then that's how I'm going to pronounce it. And I moved on. But we don't know what those kids internalized at that moment, at that day. Did they internalize this idea that Spanish is so bad and so wrong that you can't even call yourself by name, which is why we see all kinds of Latinos walking around named Jose for real. And, t- and they tell people, you can call me Jesse. I went to school with a, mm-hmm. with a Jorge who went by George. Right. Like these are the ways that our students are internalizing that my name as it is, my name as it was given to me is somehow not good here. Well, I remember that's just just one that that um, uh, example um, when Carla was telling me this, where, where when I was working with kindergarten teachers and we were redoing their classroom environments and looking at their materials um, we were looking at, you know, their nonfiction fiction books, their reading or their reading corner and I'm like, you don't have any bilingual books in here. How come there's no Spanish language or bilingual books uh, in here? Not to mention just books that are representative of not just the, the children in the classroom, but just of your community, right? She's like, no, I, I can't have I can't have any because it's English only instruction. I'm like, exactly, English only instruction. It doesn't mean that the children can't actually grab the books by themselves and just look at the pictures, right. and maybe they want to check out the book. Like it got so extreme. Very, very much, I hate to say it, but very black and white like that. I'm like, no, that, that, doesn't, that, that law does not say anything about you having a diverse selection of children's books in your reading area. Yeah, it, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah, so that's just one example. I mean, I could give you more, right? Like you asked me about my time on the school board, yeah. and that was, mind you, I want to be very, very clear that every single person on that school board with me was a self-proclaimed liberal. Mm-hmm. And so I just think it's very important to point that out before I tell this story, because there is a really brazen and the really obvious white supremacy that comes from something as simple as someone that like, let's say is a yeah. member of the KKK. Yeah. Um, but then I really want to share, and I hope that people who are listening realize how insidious white supremacy actually is because my experience on the school board as a Latina, um, my, my president of that school board was a so-called white liberal. Her name is Jeannie Cassine. I have no problem putting her on blast because she should be put on blast along with anyone who does foolishness like this. Um, she, uh, was a Teach for America alum along uh, as well as me. So there was no indication that she and I would have any issues. In fact, you would expect us on paper based off of just knowing that we were both TFA alum and that we're both liberals and in Arizona and educators that we would be able to work together. And it was, is this a family show? Let me just say it was a dumpster fire. It was not good what ended up happening there. Um, and it was it was essentially as soon as I started to point out things that were clearly not working at the school district, 
uh, Jeannie took it as an immediate personal attack because she had been sitting on that school board for so many years. Oh, yeah. And she had almost be- gotten to the point where she couldn't even handle anyone pointing at something that she, of course, had nurtured for eight years and was, and was working on for eight years and say, this is clearly not working. Um, and instead of having that humility, instead of saying, you're, you, Carla, are bringing a Latina perspective that we actually don't have on this board. Um, she got defensive and she turned to the number one thing that a lot of, not number one, let me not speak. Let me be more professional. She turned to a form and, and a maneuver in the white community, which is now I'm going to, um, I'm going to do something to you, Carla, a Latina that is done to Latinos and people of color all of the time in a professional setting, which is I'm going to discredit you. She went on a campaign to explain to people why I wasn't very bright. I didn't understand my role, how I was confused. So the pain, the picture that she painted about me is that, oh, look at this girl. She's incompetent. Clearly, she doesn't understand what's going on. And I understood what was going on very well. What was going on is that she had been sitting on that school board for years. And under her watch, Creighton Elementary continued to fail students in mass quantities. And instead of elevating the voice of a Latina and hearing it and being open to it, she shut it down and she discredited someone. So the ideology there is, again, that like people of color, they're really not that bright. Once they get to positions of power, you really shouldn't be here. You're mm-hmm. in the wrong place. Not only are you not worthy of this position, you don't get it and you're not capable of performing your roles as a school board member. That's white violence. Yep. And this is a woman who is now running to be superintendent of Maricopa County. And it is <laughs> yes. just another way that, you know what, that's really great that you have a D next to your name on your voter registration card, but you are not able to share power and you are not able, willing to, um, to make space yes. for diverse voices and diverse perspectives because it's getting in the way of your personal goals for yourself and the status that you want and that you need. And guess what? I'm a big girl. You don't like me. You want to discredit me? Fine. I'll go about on about my day. But you're doing that. And in the meantime, kids of color are continuing to be failed because you're wasting time instead of actually solving problems. I mean, and it's just so frustrating because here in Arizona, the majority of the pre-K through 12th grade population is um, in the metro area is Latino. And there's a, there's an organization called All in Education, A-L-L, capital A-L-L, in Education here, um, that I follow because it's very much, we're trying to, it's the conversation of nothing about us without us. Like, I'm tired of the decisions being made about our, you know, our black and brown communities that don't have black and brown or, or just that representation, keeping us in mind for that. Um, and right. then when we, and then when we have a diverse uh, board, like someone like, like um, Carla, that's on these boards there, they get shut down because all of a sudden yeah. we're, we're not, we're not, we're discredited apparently. Um, so, and regardless, I mean, I was talking about Carla's bio, Carla's very credentialed and, 
um, highly experienced educator as well and community advocate. Um, so that doesn't have anything to do with it. And it's just really unfortunate because we need these voices. We need these voices for these yeah. For our kids. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we ha- we had a school in that district that was a bilingual immersion school, and the principal was a white lady who didn't speak Spanish. Explain <laughs> that to me. Help me understand how that I mean, happened. I, I can only laugh, but I was telling Carla, I'm like, do you know, for a child to be able to go into a dual language program here, um, you because there's... We, there's a research that shows that um, dual language programs have so many benefits for brain research. Um, and the majority of non-Latino, non-people uh, of color families, they like those programs. They want their children to be bilingual, speaking Mandarin, uh, Japanese. You know, those programs here at, at the public schools, uh, my, my child would have to be proficient in English to qualify for a dual language program. And I'm like, that just makes no sense. So the, so the children that yeah. really need that dual language, like if we have um, our English language learners that could benefit from a dual language program, you know, hearing English from their peers, they would not qualify. And then those programs, a lot of them are in the more um, higher socioeconomic uh, school districts as well. So that's like, institutional. <laughs> yeah. that's so policy. like, how, yeah. how are we helping that's them learn policy. English? <laughs> That policy is institutional oppression. It's disturbing that it's that a, that a child that is not proficient in English but proficient in Spanish can't be at that school, but a child that is proficient in English and not proficient in Spanish can attend that school. We in in both situations we have a child who is proficient in one language and not in the other, but we have decided because we, there's this ideology in Arizona that English is somehow superior, that a child who's proficient in English can, has, has the capacity to spend half of their day being immersed in Spanish and that they'll be fine. But somehow when it's just flipped and we have a, a Latino who will be just fine in the classes that are being taught in Spanish and might have to struggle and try a little bit harder in the half day that is in English, somehow they're not capable, nor are they worthy of this type of, of school experience. Yeah. And on top of that, apparently you can lead a school that is half Spanish, half English dual instruction, and you only have to be proficient in one language, which is English. It's absurd. And mm-hmm. what we're doing is we're saying that when a, when a white kid is semi-proficient in Spanish, because let me tell you, when I, when I toured Biltmore and I was talking to the kids, I was like, well, this is a dual immersion program. So these white kids that are, that are touring me around, I'm going to speak to them in Spanish. They were nervous. They were insecure. Their grammar was a little bit off, but it, but you could tell that they were not fully bilingual. And so, but we will take those same kids, put them in front of the school board, celebrate them, pat them on their back, tell their kids, tell their parents how wonderful it is that their children are bilingual. And mind you, they're not bilingual. They're proficient in English and they're okay in Spanish right now. And at the same time, we have eight other schools in the district where our kids speak beautiful, perfect Spanish. And they're okay in English. Actually, their English is better proficiency-wise than the white kids at Biltmore's proficiency is in Spanish. And we look at them and we pity them and we say, oh, poor kids. And oh my God, this is why they really, you know, college is probably- They need more intervention. They need more intervention. They need more intervention. Something's really wrong with them. Pull them out of the classroom. Pull them out of the classroom. Pull them out for four hours. It's Mm -hmm. it's a disgrace. 
it's a disgrace. And to be quite honest with you, it is, it is something that teachers are going to have to reckon with because now, you know, I'm seeing a lot of anti-racist movement on Twitter and a lot of white teachers who are like, what books do I read? The first thing that you need to do is you need to stop praising white kids for being bilingual and then diminishing and looking down on our Latino kids or any immigrant children that mm-hmm. are proficient in their home language and are doing a pretty damn good job speaking in English because kids learn really quick and saying that there's something the matter with them and for some reason they're not worthy of an excellent education or, or not worthy of being tested for the gifted program or whatever right. other barrier people put in front of, of our immigrant students just because they're not proficient in English yet. Oh, I got little semenchino la piel. I love it. My, I got little goosebumps just listening to you. <laughs> oh my gosh! It's wild. It's Hala. wild, and this is the type of stuff that I was talking about on yeah. the school board. And I kept getting people telling me the teachers are annoyed with you. They don't like you. They don't like what you're saying. It's not what you're saying. It's how it's saying it. I don't care oh, about your feelings. Goodness. You're grown. You have a degree. You've chosen this profession. You're here to help kids. You're here to solve problems. Please stop wasting time telling me how you don't like me. Because that, my friend, is interpersonal oppression. Mm-hmm. Ooh. And I don't have time for it. These are, these are our conversations, folks. This is just a, a little sneak peek. <laughs> a little a This little is what's glimpse. happening off of Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I know I need to get you going here. Um, tell us about upcoming passion projects that you've got going on. Uh, I want to make sure yeah. you have time to plug in your stuff. Yes, I will say that, but I will, I, before we move on, I do want to add that despite all of that interpersonal oppression that I experienced in just the one year that I sat on the school board, none of it was internalized because I know my power Absolutely. and I know what I have to offer. Um, so let's see, what am I up to? Well, you know, I live in San Diego because I have a spouse and like any marriage, you have, um, compromises that you make. So I live out here, but I'm still so invested in Phoenix. Um, I still do business in Phoenix. My company Epiphany has been open for three years. We've served so many people and nonprofits in the metro area. And the next thing we want to do is we want to open a teacher co-working space in Phoenix. Um, teacher's lounge. A teacher's thing. lounge, if you like the Epiphany yeah. Teacher's Lounge. And, you know, it is, um, we know that teachers work after hours. We know that evenings and weekends is when they're doing their planning. And we know yes. that they do that in isolation, or we know they get kicked out of Starbucks once it's closing. And, um, <laughs> and uh, we want to make space for that. And so uh, I think it's something that hasn't been available to teachers yet for them to find um, a space that is age appropriate, that is resource rich, that it has very intentional programming for teachers and also offers a place for teachers to build community and collaborate. And that's that's what I want to bring. Awesome. Um, You can learn more about Carla's project. Let's see, edpiphany.com, E-D-P-I-P-H-A-N-Y. I want to make sure folks know that, edpiphany.com. Uh, at Edpiphany on Twitter. She's on Facebook with Edpiphany as well. Um, connect with Carla. I know you have upcoming, you're offer, you still offering your upcoming PD as well for teachers, virtual stuff. Yeah, Just so keep- we're piloting. 
Yeah, we're yeah. piloting a lot of our services because we want to open the lounge January 2022, but we also want to start delivering some of those services to get input and to see what do teachers want more of. And because, you know, it's the time of COVID, we're offering them all virtually. Um, and we're happy to any teacher, because it's virtual, no matter if they're Arizona teachers or not, can participate because I don't care if you live in Omaha, Nebraska, if you sit through our say this, not that training, and you're like, this could be better this way, we'll take it because that's only going to make our programming better. Um, so yeah, I mean, anyone, anything at Ed Epiphany, people, people can learn more. And I would say, you know, I kind of am like anxious or sometimes I, I think a little, have a little bit of anxiety where I'm like, well, what if somebody listens to this podcast, sees that I'm like raging? <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> no, well, trust wanna, me. I don't. I don't want to be a part of this. I don't, I don't like her. I don't, you know, like maybe we have some white fragility going on with some people who are listening <laughs> and it's like, well, you're losing, you're losing customers. You've lost my membership. I'm not going to, I'm going to be like, great because that's, that's actually not who we're trying to serve. The teachers yeah. that we're trying to serve are teachers who are ready for this work, are ready to get uncomfortable and are ready to have the hard conversations. And if yeah. districts are not providing those supports and are not providing that space or those colleagues that are like-minded or that PD that you need, we're going to do that. And so if at any point there's a teacher listening to this or an admin or a superintendent that at first was on board and now isn't on board because of my belief, you are not our target customer anyways. Thank you. You can stick to whatever (laughs) else it was that you were sticking to. Ooh, you're going to be left in the dust. And I just want to plug it in as well. Like Carla has been one of those thought leaders that has been doing equity anti-racism diversity work since long before it's been a hot topic on twitter you know on the social media handles we were just talking about that um so definitely reach out to to carla for that okay madam i'm gonna let you go go get your baby it's been real and fun te amo te adoro te viro al inodoro we'll see each other soon igualmente cuídate